Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Create Your Life series, where we help you maximize your potential and results in the area of personal development, entrepreneurship, and travel. And I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown. Create your life. Create ta propre vie. Create your life. Create your life. Create la tua vita. Create your life. Don't skip your liver. You better create your life. <laughs> create your life. Create la vie. Create your life. Create your life. Beautiful people, what's going on? This is the Create Your Life series. Happy Sunday. It is a beautiful day out here in New York City, and we are so excited to have you here. Um, Today has just been great, man. It's been an awesome week. Uh, Coming in, I was in Atlanta all week, and let me tell you a little bit about how I even made it to Atlanta this week. Um, I met about two or three months ago, I met a a great friend uh, who is now a friend. Um, Jen, named Jennifer, me and my friend Carl Ulysses, who was a guest here on the show. Actually, you know what? It was further than that. Now it was about March. Uh, Carl and I were here. We were having um, dinner at Harlem Tavern and we met two other uh, ladies. We struck up a conversation. And from that conversation, one of the ladies, Jennifer, she uh, worked at as a school in Covington, Georgia with the school districts. And so, of course, me being who I am, I told her about Debt Free College Academy, which is a company that I run that teaches parents and students how to graduate from college debt-free. And so in the midst of that conversation, we ended up uh, exchanging information and we kept in contact. So the next day, very next day, I followed up, sent her the press kit, sent her all of the information about Debt-Free College Academy. And so from there, we, we stayed in contact. I would periodically check in with her, ask if she had any advice for someone trying to break into the market down there uh, as far as having a curriculum and an online course, which is basically blended learning there in Atlanta, uh, right outside of Atlanta in Covington. And so we talked and we kept in contact. And about two weeks ago, she called me up and she said, Kevin, uh, we have a conference coming up called the Teach for Tomorrow. And it's uh, about teaching with technology. And that conference is tomorrow. I mean, is uh, is next week. Would you be interested in coming? And so, of course, I said, absolutely. I would love to be there and love to be a guest on the, uh, I mean, to be a presenter or a vendor there at the conference. And so I bought a plane ticket and went down to Atlanta, got a rental car and drove out there on Wednesday morning at about 6 a.m. And so I got there. You know, this is a faith thing. I didn't have any any opportunities or anything like that lined up. This was just come show your face, see what happens. I had zero guarantees, but I took that chance and took that jump. And I went out there and it was amazing. I had the opportunity to speak to some other people who were vendors, had the opportunity to talk to superintendents, uh, the principal of the high school that this conference was being held at, the, the counselors, the, uh, the head of the magnet program, all of these different opportunities that were, became available because I, actually had to, because I actually took the chance and showed up. I had faith that something great would happen. And that day went great, the first day of the conference. And what I did is I went in there, I tried to speak to everybody that I could, got some follow-up uh, interviews or meetings for the next day. So the next day, I went right back out there at about 7 a.m. and had the opportunity to meet with more people on the staff there at the school and have an even further in-depth uh, conversation. And then from there, you know, we have now Debt Free College Academy, the curriculum, we have some potential uh, business there in Covington, Georgia, but that all took place based upon a leap of faith and having faith and belief that, you know, my product is good, but also if I just can get my foot in the door, then opportunity can can raise itself. And so, you know, on our journeys to create in our life, that faith and personal belief in what it, in yourself and in what it is that you do or what you've created is very, very important. And what that, while there in Atlanta, I also had the opportunity to go to my alma mater, Clark Atlanta University. 
And Clark Atlanta is so near and dear to me because as an adult now, I would say I'm probably um, a 720 from what it was that I, who I was when I walked into the university. You know, just a different character. You know, all I wanted to do was wear blue jeans and Air Maxes and these really tall T-shirts that were too big for me. And my my jeans, you know, I was probably maybe a 30 at that time in, in the waist wearing 36s and things like that. And just, you know, just very uh, rough and raw. But while I had the opportunity to go back to the university, I had the opportunity to speak to my professors and I had the opportunity to go and speak to the people in the print shop and who were my my friends and who believed in me way back then. I mean, I used to go into the CAU print shop and actually uh, photocopy books and ask them to create business cards for me because I was running my own clothing company or I wanted to do this venture and that venture. And oftentimes I didn't have money, but they saw the drive and they believed in what it was that I was saying that I was going to do and they saw the action followed by it. And so that was their buy-in. And so while I was there at the school, I said, wow, you know what? I hear a lot of this conversation that's going on right now about HBCUs not being relevant. And to be honest with you, HBCUs are very relevant and they also offer the opportunity or the the ex- experience for African-American students or students who attend there to believe in themselves because elsewhere uh, they, it might not, they might not receive that much praise. But the HBCU experience is also not just about the institution. Every institution is flawed across the world. But it's also about the people that were there while you were there and how they may have impacted you or helped you out. And I think that that is realistically why I am who I am now is because, of, you know, after leaving home seven, over 17 years in foster care and making it to college, it was the people there who allowed me to continue to grow and push me to go to a different level. And that's why today's guest is so, so, so important to me because I'm going to be hundred percent honest with you, create your life series fam. This guy is the reason why, if you ever see me in a suit, he's the reason why I know how to put my suit together. He, I remember one day he told me, he said, as fly as you are in your jeans and your t-shirt, you need to be that fly when you're wearing a suit. And just the guidance that he gave me, he's even the reason, the main, one of the bigger reasons why I'm even a member of Cap Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated. And, you know, it's just, this guy's impact is amazing, but he's definitely a man uh, of faith and, and personal belief, but he also believes in others. Dr. Raphael Moffitt, please say hello to the Create Your Life Series family. Hello, 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 Create Your Life Series. I hope all is well. Yes, all is very well. I got to admit, man, it's very humbling to have you here on the show. It has, uh, it's been a while, man. You've been my mentor for almost, uh, almost 15 years. I tried to do that math on that today. And so uh, that being said, man, first question for you is, is you're currently the, uh, the student activities director or vice president of student affairs at uh, Langston University, man. How has that experience been? Uh, it's been great. It's been great. I've uh, worked. Um, to, I've been I've been the VP for um, four years, and I've worked the past ten years to get to this spot. So it's been good, man. I've learned a lot. Um, just like anything, it, when you get into it, it's not always what you expect it to be. But it's a great, great. It's what I'm called to do. I feel like, and and so I've I've had a really good experience trying to make sure that we can get students, and specifically students who choose the historically black college um, route to graduate and be better versions of themselves than than when they came in. So. A lot of those students who came in wearing Air Max with triple X long tees like you, we try to, you know, hopefully give them a, a different look and also allow them to be themselves and, and get them on some good footing. Right. And, you know, that's the biggest thing I feel like that that you've actually taught, because I've actually seen some of your other uh, protégés, I guess you could call them male and female, that one of the biggest things is, is allowing people to be themselves, defining what success is for them, just giving them the tools to run after it. Uh, that being said, how many different institutions, you say you spent the last 10 years, how many different institutions have you been able to uh, to work at and, and matriculate through, if you don't mind me asking? Um, yeah, yeah. So I've uh, worked at Clark Atlanta University. I worked there. Um, that's where I actually started in student affairs um, as a resident director. Um, I was there for three years, and I worked at Georgia State University for two years. Um, I was a student affairs advisor for African-American services and programs. Then I got the opportunity to be the director for student life at Morehouse College, and I was there for two years. 
And then I uh, moved to Texas and I was the director for campus and community involvement at Trinity University in San Antonio. And then I got the opportunity to come uh, work at Langston University in uh, Langston, Oklahoma. So I believe that's six in yeah. the past 14 years. Wow. And it's funny that you mentioned that, that hall director, man, it, you were, you're such a, a catalyst. I remember you were, of course, the hall director when I first got to Clark Atlanta. But the f- number one thing I remember is I remember seeing you. I thought you were so cool. I literally walked up to you and said, man, you're going to be my mentor. I remember that. <laughs> and then you were like, uh, okay. But I, I didn't know. I don't think you knew how serious about that I was. But but the openness uh, that you had, man, I just see all these other students who talk about you and things like that, man. They all have something similar to say about you uh, in their, their lines of, of success. So go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 I appreciate that, man. I You know, some people go their entire life without knowing what they really want to do, but I'm actually living, you know, my, my, I guess, goal or of what I wanted to achieve when I was a sophomore in high school. I went to a high school that was very diverse, but most of our teachers were white. Mm-hmm. And so they, they cared about us and they wanted us to do well. They just didn't understand us. And so I had one teacher, um, Joanne Chambers, she's my English teacher. And she was my, I think it was my junior year. And, and whatever we would do, like back then it was, you know, wearing one pants leg up, trying to be like LL or, you know, whatever the look was, you know, we were trying to do. She understood it. And she also said, but along with doing that stuff and being cool, you need to get on these books and you write pretty good. So stick to this stuff. And at that moment, I was like, I want to be a high school English teacher um, because I want to be able to see kids like myself, you know, or others that just want to express themselves but also get some good information along the way. And so I, I don't teach English, but that's the reason why I'm in education is because there was somebody who I felt that was, you know, could relate to me, but also give me good information. So that's, that's kind of been my driving force for, for being in education the last, you know, almost 15 years. Wow. So you're talking about that drive, that, that passion, or uh, there any other places where, where you're, you're getting your passion to be, I guess, this conduit for dreams or uh, for other people. Do you have any other sources? Um, yeah, I mean, really, man, it, it comes from my overwhelming desire to serve. And I think that comes from, um, the, the spiritual, you know, core of who I am of, of being a follower of Christ and, and seeing that model of serving people. And so that in my, in my heart of hearts, that's really what I want to do. And what I want to be success to me is when they lay me in the ground, whenever that is, to know that I gave everything I could to everybody I could with what I had, you know, across the the span of my life. And so that's that, that spiritual piece for me is very critical to give everything away. And, and, you know, I've always said, you've heard me say this before, Kev, stuff happens to us, but it doesn't happen for us. So, you know, good experiences happen to us, but we should learn from those, give that experience to somebody else in the basket. Perceive things that can perceive to be bad happen to us. It's also our job to take those lessons and to make sure that when somebody runs into that challenge or one like it, we can give them the game quicker so that they don't have to necessarily, you know, take all take the route the long way around. Maybe they can get, you know, to their destination a little bit quicker. So it's really just trying to, and I'm not trying to sound, you know, cliche or anything, man. Just trying to be like Christ as much as I can, and I fail at it every day, but. You know, it's similar to when we play ball. Everybody wanted to be like Mike, Magic, and Bird. None of us could ever do that. But shooting for that goal helped us become the best versions of ourselves, you know, athletically. So I kind of try to do the same in life. Man, and you saying that about, you know, being help, encouraging people to create their life, you know, their best lives and be the best version of themselves, but also you giving out, you know, your experiences and helping others learn from your experiences. I just kind of want to jump right into it. I think one of the the biggest things that, has happened to you uh, from our, our experiences and our conversations is a reason, a recent battle uh, that you were victorious in. Do you want to shed some light on that for our listeners and the family? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so December 2014, um, I was diagnosed with colon cancer. Um, I was 30, I think, eight at the time. Um, and I was, I was, maybe I was 37 at the time. Yeah, 37. But I was, you, you know, um, don't smoke, don't drink. And most of the time people are like, Oh, if you would have did this less, this would happen. But I'm, you know, I'm a relatively healthy dude that, that, um, had, uh, a history of cancer 
in my family. And so I would, I would tell everybody who's listening, if you have any sort of um, family history of anything, go get checked, go get screened, go get tested just to make sure. Cause you, you never know. And I, I didn't know it was this pervasive until I, excuse me, was diagnosed. And then, and then I found out that it, it, it was uh pretty heavy in my family. So went in, got a colonoscopy because I couldn't use the restroom. I tried to go. And basically when I went in, um, it was a tumor that was blocking, um, my ability to use the restroom. And he said, it's about a golf ball size tumor. It is cancerous and we need to go in and get it out. And because I was young, um, they, they were, they were very, very aggressive. And so I did, um, five weeks of chemo and radiation. Um, and then also had five surgeries, um, four months of intravenous chemo. Um, and then also I had a, an ileostomy bag for seven months, man. So when I tell you that it has been a long trying road, I don't think that I can even, you know, that, that just barely, you know, is the tip of the iceberg of what, you know, my last year and a half has been like. All that said, I am cancer free and I'm grateful for it. So, you know, it, it really helped give me some perspective on what was important in life. Right. And you being a family man, you have a, a son and, and a wife. So I'm curious as to how did you how did you stay motivated and encouraged, you know, when with such a diagnosis or with climbing such a, I guess, a, a, a ladder? Um, well, I, I got a I got a a wife and a son who are absolutely at the center of my world. Um, everything I do is, is focused on making sure that it's right by them. Um, and so my wife who has been, you know, we've been together for 10 years now. She was a rock through the whole thing and helped me up in 500 different ways. So I can't even, you know, begin to tell you how grateful I am for her, um, to do that. And I, and I joke with her now and I'm serious, but I say it in a joking way. She stuck with me forever because she ain't never getting rid of me after keeping me, you know, alive through <laughs> something like this. So, um, just, you know, a little, little nugget, man, whoever you connect you, your life with, make sure that they're really in it for the long haul for, you know, sickness and health better for worse. Cause you never know when that stuff is going to go down. And if you're just connecting yourself to somebody for, for what they look like or what, what they got or whatever, when all that stuff fades or when you get bored. And something really jumps off where you need them there, you know, that they may not be there. So I would tell folks to really, when you're talking about, you know, creating your life and -hmm. creating a life with somebody, make sure you're, you're connecting your core values with them. So my wife has been, it was in the role and she just, just seeing her strength made me strong. Um, and then my son, who is a two year old, um, ball of life and love and happiness Mm -hmm. and all that stuff, man. And so, you know, to be able to still go through this battle, but interact with him. And to him, daddy, daddy had an owie. He didn't have cancer. And so I didn't want to, you know, I, I didn't want to impose any of that, that challenge on him. So he just really helped me understand. And I got a lot to live for, you know, and being a black male in this world, you know, raising a young black male in this world is something that I'm very serious about. So I wanted to make sure I was here for that. And so they both really just, pushed me through in those moments where I couldn't do it myself. Got you. So do you feel like cancer tested your faith? You know, it, it strengthened my faith. And here's why I say that, you know, oftentimes people in this, and this is, if you, if you go to church, if you don't go to church, I think whatever you have faith in, right. Mm-hmm. People believe in it to the nth degree when things are on the up and up. Right. They're like, I know that I can be an entrepreneur. I know that I can be a, a super music producer. I know that I can run my company or corporation or whatever, because I got that. I got that meeting. I got that that little bit of money. I got this. But as soon as something hits where it looks like like it's insurmountable, mm-hmm. that's when our faith takes a huge, huge hit, because all of a sudden we don't believe and why me and well, I'm better than the next person. How come, I mean, how come somebody else don't got, don't go through this? And I'm going through it. And we start questioning our faith. And for me, my faith is, is, is rooted in, you know, being a Christian. So for me, I think, I, and, and literally it was only a couple of days I had when I, when I initially got diagnosed, of course I was down and I was like, Whoa, what is this? Why me? And then, and then instantly I was like, Nope, I'm not going to die from this. And 
and God chose me for this. He didn't, he didn't put this on me. He chose me for this because even when I was, before I was born, he knew this was going to happen. So he trusts me with this journey to really see if I can have faith in who he is and what he does despite what's going on. And so for me, man, it really increased my faith. And I usually, when challenges get really, really hard, that's when my faith gets really, really strong or or becomes stronger because I think that those are the moments that really define how much faith you have in your brand or what you believe in or all of that stuff. And I'm of the thought that people who really um, have faith in whatever drives them every day will believe in that with the period and not with the comma. Because if you believe with a period, nothing after that matters, right? So you believe in the Create Your Life series and you're speaking and motivational speaking and all these different things, even when it slows down, even when people are saying no, even when, you know, you have two listeners instead of 2,000 listeners on a given, you know, show, you still have to believe in it because if you start believing with a comma, then we start making excuses for why we can't get up and why we can't empower others. So mm-hmm. it really kind of solidified for me, like, no, if you believe in everything you say you are and you're about, this is when it matters. And, and you know, I played sports. I played two years junior college basketball, and then I played, you know, I walked on at Washington State. And, you know, playing sports, it, we always define greatness by these moments that, are almost insurmountable or the clock is down and you got the ball in your hand and you take the last shot either close or far or whatever you hit the shot and everybody's like, Oh, you know what I mean? And so it's the same thing for me. Like it doesn't matter if my life is going well through the first three quarters. If it's the fourth quarter of my life and cancer hit, I need to, I need to lean on all of the training that I've gone through, i.e. prayer and fasting and, you know, living right and and doing right and all these different things you try to do to help drive me through this experience to get on the other side. So my faith was increased, man. And I hope people can understand that, that your, your faith in whatever it is shouldn't be shaken by the result that you don't think that you, or, or by something that makes you think you won't get a desired result. You can still get that desired result. It just requires you being that much more, you know, dogmatic about what you feel. Yeah, I call that, uh, you know, that CAU model, that find a way or make one. Find but a way or make one, man. And, and you know, it's funny that you say that. It's It was really like that. It was really like that. Like, you know, in some instances, it was, it was we were traveling overseas and, and the doc was like, yo, you might not want to do this. And then I'm like, I'm going with my family overseas. And so I had to, you know, take some more, medication and we had to wipe down the, the plane and I had, they wanted me to wear a mask and all this stuff. And I, w- I just got to the point where it was like, I don't want to talk about what I can't do. I want to figure out how I can do it. And that mm-hmm. doesn't mean going against what the doctor says. And, and, and for folks listening, it doesn't mean going against good instruction, but it does mean having this healthy disregard, disregard for the impossible, right? right. And trying to figure out what you can pull into being possible. Well, I think you you wrapped that up when you said you got to have faith. You have to believe with the period. You know, you mm-hmm. finding that that solution. I'm curious about your day to day routine because you still work throughout your experience uh, going through chemo and things like that. Is that correct? I did. I did. I I worked the five weeks of chemo and radiation um, simultaneously. I would work, so I would get up, and I had to do it every day for five weeks. So I would get up, um, go drive 45 minutes to the cancer institute. And they lay, they basically put me in this machine that kind of looked like something out of Star Wars. They laid me on it and then lined me up and the radiation would shoot into basically my abdomen where the, where the tumor was to shrink it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I would have these chemo pills and I, you know, make me feel really weak and, you know, nausea and all these different things. And I would go, I would leave there, go to work. Um, and then go home and basically crash because I I just didn't have any energy in me, man. And, and I know the difference between being tired, being exhausted, you know, and, and being worn out all the, like they feel different, you know? And so I would do that for five weeks and then I had surgery for them to basically pull the tumor out 
Um, and God is good, man. I, it was the size of a golf ball. By the time I got done with chemo and radiation, it was the size of a pea. And so, wow. and so it, it shrunk it down. Yeah, it was, it was a blessing, man. So, um, when I went and had surgery, I was down for six weeks at, mm-hmm. at home and I couldn't, you know, you never, you, you, you never appreciate the small stuff until you realize that it's really the big stuff. Right. Well, so yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't lift my son and I carry him everywhere. You know, I get him out the car, I'll pick him up, I'll play with him. And for that time I couldn't pick him up, man. And so, and, and I'm, and I'm patriarchal to a degree. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I embrace the fact that the, the livelihood of my family is on my, on my back. I, I don't run from that and I, I embrace it. Um, and so for me not to be able to contribute in the ways that, that I feel like I, I wanted to, it was really tough, right. you know? And, and I mean, I remember one time, man, where, where I had, uh, they did, did a test on me and I was, I was literally radioactive like like radioactive like in the movies like outbreak radioactive right so i couldn't go um i went got to they were isotopes they needed to shoot at me for some testing and the doctor said hey you're not going to be able to be around your your family you know in the same room with them for i believe it was 48 or 72 hours one of the two and i was like yo i can't like i can't be around my my family like that so we you know i called and told my wife and so I remember being in, in the living room and then I had to go in, in the bedroom and I was like, you guys got to like swap out. We got to change rooms. And I remember being in my room and my son was banging on the door and he was like, dad, dad, like, what are you doing? Come play with me. And I was like, man, I just started crying. Like, man, I can't even, you know, pick up my son or play with my son, man. This is, this is my guy, you know? Right. So the, the, the psychological battle day to day was, was, um, more intense than the physical stuff. And I don't want to minimize the physical piece. It was rough, right. you know, but, but psychologically just keeping myself in the space where I, I believe that this wouldn't kill me. And I believe that, you know, um, it would get better. And I believe that even if it didn't, you know, I was equipped for it. And so it was, it was tough through that five weeks, through the six weeks where I was down. And after that, I went back to work while I was doing, you know, chemo at the, mm-hmm. at the cancer Institute. And I would go in, I believe, for three days. I would go in, get can't get, you know, basically get my chemo treatment for about five hours. Right. And then and then I would go home and then be down for two days. Um, because it would just it would just tank my whole system. And then I would be up, I think, for about seven days. And I then that's when I went back to work and then when I went back and got my treatment, it'd be the same thing. So it's like this this up and down, you right. know, that that was consistent. It was tough. A couple questions for you. I mean, you, you've definitely uh, talked about driving yourself. Did you drive yourself to treatment on those days in the morning before you were going to work? Like, um, Some days I did. My wife went with me to probably like 90% of, of my treatment. Um, during the chemo radiation, though, I drove all the way, I believe, until the last week. I was just the, the accumulation of radiation and chemo in my body. Mm-hmm. was really, really getting to me. And so up until that last week, and I think my mom was here during that time, um, I had some assistance driving me, but for the most part, I would drive myself to to the chemo radiation treatment. They were only about 20 minutes. So yeah, that's you still know, it wasn't tough. like I was there long, but it was 45 minutes there, 45 minutes back. Right. And most people know, I feel like aren't doing, are, are, that's, that's strength, you know what I mean? Mental and physical to be able to, to take on you know, that part of it. Were there any, did you have any specific, did you do a change in diet or did you, like, how did you switch your lifestyle around in order to compound on the treatment to basically, you know, to basically have a full uh, holistic approach? Maybe, you know, did you go to a nutritionist? Did you change your diet? What did you do in order to uh, change and make your results as best as they could be? Yeah. So, so on top of what we were doing at the Cancer Institute, we did, my, my wife, man, like I said, she is phenomenal. I mean, she, she, she knows how to connect with people in a great way. She connected with somebody she worked with who knew a nutritionist that worked with Lance Armstrong when he was diagnosed okay. with cancer. And so we got in contact with him and he said, Hey, on top of your, your chemo protocol, I'm going to put you on some, some supplements to help offset some of the, the, you know, side effects and, and that help long term. And I, my goal was honestly, Kev, and I don't know if it was vanity. I don't know if it was, you know, being scared. I don't know. I just said, 
I didn't want to look sick. Right. You know, I didn't want to, I didn't want people to treat me like, you know, I was sick or whatnot. You know, typically when we see somebody, we're like, oh, they're, they they have a handicap or they're this or they're that. And then we start treating them different. I didn't want people to treat me like that. So I just prayed. I said, Lord, I'm going to go through this. I just don't want to look sick. And I truly believe that, you know, along with him honoring that prayer and, and the supplements that I, I took from Dr. Lupnitz, L-U-E-B-N-I-T-Z. Mm-hmm. He's out of Austin, Texas. He's phenomenal. He put me in. I still take him. I'll probably take him for the next five years. Um, those supplements help. Um, and also, while I was going through it, my, you know, I, the nausea was heavy. Right. So I would, I would, I wouldn't have an appetite, but I would drink these boost drinks that are high in calories. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, you know, chugged those just to make sure I was getting the caloric intake that I needed. Um, and then at home, you know, the, the, my taste buds changed and I didn't really, I didn't add a whole lot to my diet. There were things that I couldn't eat that, that I typically would. Seafood is a staple for me and I couldn't do it. I, it, just, it just didn't taste good, so I would supplement that with a burger here and there. But mm-hmm. mostly those, 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 um, the the boosts and smoothies and um, um, the, the supplements were probably the integral, you know, pieces for me from from a dietary standpoint. Okay, now I got a question for you. I mean, you why did you why did you not want to? Uh, why was it so important not to look sick for you? You know, man. So. In, in, in higher ed, you know, in, in the student affairs, we talk about identity a lot. Okay. And, and, I, and I think whether, wh- wh- however you're trying to create your life, we all have an identity. And, and, we, and we sit at the intersection of, you know, several different identities. And one that I've never really, that I've taken for granted, should I say, that I don't spend a lot of time thinking about is being able-bodied. Mm. Right? I've been, I've been an able-bodied, six-foot-two, you know, athlete since 10th grade and I've been able-bodied since before then, but, but I haven't grown since 10th grade. So I've, I've been able to pretty much do what I wanted to do from a physical standpoint up until the time where I was diagnosed. And so for me, I've always known how I would be perceived when I walked in a room, you know, I'm able-bodied. There is nothing going on on the external that would give anybody, you know, a, a cause for alarm or pause or anything like that. And so for me, I just didn't want to deal with that because I know that I, I have to be intentional about not doing that with students I work with or colleagues I work with or, you know, when I'm just in the mall and I see somebody or whatever, I just didn't want to be the subject of, of that piece. And so I think my, my, my able-bodied identity piece, I just, I just have not spent a lot of time, you know, being grateful for. And at that, in that moment, I was like, I value that. And I don't want that to change. Being able-bodied, then being in a, in a place where you definitely had to depend on others. How important is humility? Because there, I know that there were times where you couldn't do, as you as you stated, you know, you couldn't pick up your son, you couldn't do these other things. How did you how did you uh, deal with that? You know, and um, overcome that aspect of it. Man, you know, I, I think in a situation like that, it's not hard to be humble with people that you have true relationships with. Mm-hmm. You know, and you should, and we should always find humility. I always say, find humility before it finds you, because when it finds you, you know, it's a it's a, it's a hard taskmaster. So constantly searching for it okay. um, is, is probably the best thing to do. But being humble and just being able to tell my wife or or you know my friends or whoever I can't do it was was tough. But I've always been the type of I've always tried to be the type of person that would be honest and transparent about what I was feeling, you know? And, and so that, that momentum was really critical in the, in the time when I was dealing with, with cancer, because there's a lot of stuff that I missed that I would ne- that I would never miss on or miss out on or capture if I was, you know, a hundred percent. And I just had to tell myself and tell other people, I'm listening to my body and my mind and my spirit and I need your help. And I think that, I think the three things that people have the most difficult time saying is I love you. Can you help me? And I'm sorry. Those three things. But once we get to the point where we can tell, tell our our people that we love, that we truly love, I love you. And when you can ask for help and when you can say, Hey, I'm sorry, forgive me. If we can get those three things at the forefront of our mind, 
relationships, you know, blossom and life can open up to us, especially for entrepreneurs, because being an entrepreneur is all about the relationships you have with people. If you don't have relationships with people, nobody cares about your product, right? They, they want to know that they can buy into Kevin Brown. And so if, if you, if you have the ability to do those things, I think people can see a part of you internally and go, I value who that person is. And so I've, I've, I've had to learn those lessons the easy and hard way. Mm-hmm. And that's what kind of helped keep me humble through this whole, whole piece was, you know, being strong, but also saying, I'm sorry. What and were, but, uh, What were some of the ways that uh, your friends uh, showed up for you? Uh, those who necessarily might not have been there for you on a day-to-day basis, if they were, were remote or did like they visit, like what were some of the ways? Um, so some of them text, you know, consistently. Uh, um, some of them call. Um, a few of my friends actually came and surprised me, and they and, and surprised me at great times when I was just down and like, man, I'm I'm in this you know third psych you know treatment cycle, and I don't know what can happen. And I, I have friends drive in from West Virginia, and not like two. It was like a van of like six, seven dudes who who you know drove in and, and saw me and my you know guys from Atlanta and you know my guys from back home in Washington, and so they really just you know, just being in, and from DC, my friend Marcus from DC just came down and, and, and some of them showed up different. And my cousin at the time was going through his battle with cancer. Um, and he told me, he said, Raphael, you need to, don't be alarmed at how you think people should, should respond to you with, you know, during your cancer battle, if they don't do it that way, he said, because they're going through it too. And so just because somebody you've been tight with for 20 years doesn't call you every day doesn't mean that they don't care. It just means that they may be going, they may, they, they may be like, man, that's my guy, like, Ross, like, not him. And they're, and they're grappling with it, too. So it's hard for them to call and check up on you because they, they never thought this would happen to you. Then he said on the other side, you might know somebody two years that really holds you in high regard, and they call you all the time. And that really helped frame, like, how I would process my friends in, in this moment because they were truly, it was a varied, um, um, you know, approach to, to how people supported me, but I felt supported all the way through. There was nobody who I considered my friend or somebody close to me that didn't do something at some point in time that was significant. I was blessed in that regard because some people go through this battle by themselves. Right. So I love you. Can you help me? I'm sorry. Those three, uh, those three phrases that you named, you said those are some of the hardest things that people have have uh, have a time saying. Mm-hmm. What? Who did you say those specific things to most during this time? That's a great question. I told my family. Well, actually, I told everybody. I ain't gonna lie. Everybody that that I talked to um, for more than two minutes, I told them that I loved them. Because here's the truth of the matter, Kev. As much as we feel invincible, this is what this is what my battle taught me too. As much as we feel invincible and that we'll never leave here, every one of us are leaving here one day. We don't know when that is, we don't know what time that is, we don't even necessarily know how that is. But what is guaranteed is that everybody is leaving this earth one day. And before I left, before I leave this earth, I want to tell as many people that I know that I love them. And if if I if if I met them in in two in a two minute span, no, I'm not going to tell everybody I love them, but I'm going to show them that I care. But anybody that is really like in that circle um, and in my sphere, I'm going to tell them that I love them because we can walk out the door and never see each other again. And maybe those are the last words that I say to somebody. So I told everybody that was checking up on me, everybody that was really in my social circle that I love them, and I'll and I'll continue to do that. Um, the person the the, the thing person that I asked to help me the most was probably my wife um, because she was here bearing bearing the brunt of the day-to-day operational stuff and and picking up the slack so I I probably asked her to help me and then in some of the conversations that I had with with friends and family I probably apologized with them the most It it was a mixed bag you know, mm-hmm. folks that just, depending on how the conversation was and, you know, some folks would call and say, man, you know, I, if, if I offended you or anything like that, I apologize. That's, 
that, that maybe that was who I was then. That's not who I am now. And so I just want to, I don't want us to get off the phone or, or get out of this interaction with us feeling some type of way. I want you to know that I apologize. Right. And as a, as a, a survivor and you're in a better state now, do you still, number one, do you still continue to, you know, tell people these three things, these three phrases? And also, how has, you know, those release, the release of those feelings and, and the spreading of that love, how has that actually uh, impacted your life now? Um, well, yeah, I, I still tell people that. Um, and I think now, man, I, I'm definitely different on the backside of this battle because when you're dealing with your mortality, Mm-hmm. Man, stuff that used to be big ain't really that big. You know, stuff that, that used to get under my skin, I'm like, bro, I I was, and several people died that, that I knew or that I knew of during my cancer, but they died of cancer during my cancer battle. So I'm like, man. This this stuff that that seems to be really big that that gets us bent out of shape. I'm like, that this ain't big. We're breathing. Number one, and people can think that that's you know uh, being 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 short minded, short sighted, or whatever. I'm like, you're breathing. So let's start there because there's some people that are not breathing right now. Right. So I, how are you so different? I, how are you different? Um, I, I value relationships more than I ever have. Um, I know that I embrace the moment much more than I ever have because mm-hmm. it may be the last one that I have with people. Mm-hmm. Um, did you feel like you might not make it at any point during your journey? Never, never. That's that I, was, faith. I was a hundred, I was a hundred percent. I did. You guys, my, anybody asked my wife, I told her a couple of days after I will not die from this. So this is how we're going to live. So never. But, but I will tell you this, this is, I, I am different in the fact that I know one day I am going to pass, right? you know? And so we don't really think about that day and about what that looks like from a, from a logistical standpoint, am I going to leave money to my family and are their affairs going to be good? And am I good with everybody else? And, you know, those things, we're just constantly trying to live, but we need to prepare. And, and it sounds very morbid, right? But we need to prepare for, for, for what we want our legacy to be on the day that we do pass. Right. And so that, that's really like, what do I want my legacy to be in this life is something that I'm, that I'm, foc- I'm focusing on now, not what life I want to live, but what do I want, what legacy do I want to leave? You put together a documentary about your experience in order to help others. Is that, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it was, it was twofold. One, I didn't want to have to tell people over and over and over again, you know, about, the, the battle with cancer. So, you know, and I'm a visual person too. So it, so it allowed me to kind of document the piece going through it. And so I put together, it was about, it's about an eight to 10 minute documentary that just kind of chronicles everything that happened from the time I got diagnosed all into the time I ring the bell and, and you ring the bell uh, for those familiar with cancer. Uh, when you do your lap, when we do our last um, chemo, chemo treatment, we ring the bell so you can find that it's over. And so that, that kind of happens at the end. And, and there's some people there with me that, that are significant. I don't want to give it away, but, but I just, I just tried to chronicle it, man, just to let people know that whatever you're going through, whatever challenge you're having, whatever obstacles in your way, you can overcome it. And here's a reminder that it actually does happen. Right. You know? And so it's been, um, it was probably the hardest thing that I had to do because I had to be transparent and there's a picture in there where I'm wearing the ileostomy bag. And for those that don't know, it's basically the bag that I was defecating in because I couldn't, they, my, my insides were healing up. And so I couldn't, I couldn't go. And so there was a bag hooked to my small intestine that was hanging out of my stomach. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was like, man, this is really, you know, really, really, you know, super transparent. Do I want to do this? But I was thinking, man, God doesn't bring us through stuff to act like we've never been through it. So I'm going to show them. So whenever anybody's in their dark moment and they're like, I don't know, I'm going to be like, I want them to remember like, hold up. Now, if he could show us that, then I can get through this. What is some word of advice that you would have for someone who is either going through cancer or who is dealing with adversity in their life, but they need to stay on course with their purpose like you have? What is uh, What are a couple words of advice that you would give to that person? Number one, um, 
just because it's happening to you doesn't mean it's happening for you. So you need to find out what lessons you need to learn through this journey and figure out how to give it away. Mm-hmm. And, and, and a part of me giving it away was doing the documentary and saying, hey, here's here's a reminder that you can get through. Um, number two is valuing or finding your purpose and core values in life and living those to the, to the nth degree. Like that's super critical because when you find out who you are at the core, mm-hmm. that stuff becomes the cornerstone for getting you through obstacles. So you, you can't, you can't find, you know, solutions to problems if you don't figure, if you don't know how you solve problems, you know? And so I think that's critical. And the third thing is, is really kind of back to the beginning of the conversation is having faith, you know, like have faith beyond you got to have so much faith that when you say you have faith and you believe in X, Y, Z, some people think you're crazy because it doesn't look like it can ever come to fruition. That's how much faith you have to have. And the Bible says that, you know, it's the size of, you know, you got to have faith the size of a mustard seed. Mustard seeds are small. And, and, and if we have that much faith in what we're doing, then we can, that mountain will start to move. And it's not our job to figure out how it moves. It's our job to figure out, it's our job to believe that it can be moved. And then if you can believe in the can instead of the how, then you start to, you know, improve your situation. Where can people find this documentary? Where can you find it? Um, If you go to, well, I can, there's a friend of mine who's a, who's a, a fraternity brother of mine, actually, who's a filmmaker named Brian Johnson. And his his uh, website is obsidianmedia.com. Um, okay. If you go there, you can see all of the all of the videos there, and I can also send it to you, Kev, so you can put it on yeah. online. We'll post it with your episode on the podcast. Next thing I want to ask you is, what's next? I know that you do some motivational speaking as well. Uh, so, what what is next? Do you have any upcoming engagements? What's next for uh, Doctor Moffat? Um, I will be. Uh, I'm a, I'm a co-lead for Leadership, which is a phenomenal um, student leadership uh, organiza- organization that that does a lot of leadership and life training and values training with with students. I'm doing that. Um, I'm actually leaving next Friday. It'll be in Illinois. And then my my business is actually aside from being uh, an educator is Inspire University and it's Inspire Y O U N I V R S I T Y. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I do a lot of my, that's, that's the umbrella that I do a lot of my, um, inspirational speaking workshops, facilitating underneath. Um, I just got a call today to do uh, a camp in August with, uh, with our coach, um, on the, on, at the basketball team that they're doing a, they're doing a, um, an elite basketball camp with some high school students here. And there'll be a lot of coaches there. So I'll get to spend about 15, 20 minutes, you know, trying to give them some good information about what it means to be a true student athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that's coming up. So I'm really excited, man. I, I'm, I'm starting to share my story a lot more, get some more opportunities to speak. Um, and I'm always, always um, willing, ready to speak about whatever and to share some information with folks to help us all become the best versions of ourselves. Yes, absolutely. To help us create our lives. Yep. Well, Dr. Moffitt, I have to say thank you, man, so much for taking the time to be with us here on the Create Your Life series uh, this Sunday. And, you know, definitely want to wish you good health and a very, very thankful uh, farewell. No doubt. Hey, real quick, real quick, before um, we, we get off the phone, I want to send a heartfelt shout out, love, respect, honor to my guy, Kev Brown, doing his <laughs> thing. I, man, I've seen you grow in, in so many different ways, man. And you've always stayed true to the entrepreneurial spirit in you. And I was, I think I was telling my wife the other day, that I admire you for it because I have it to some degree, but you have that, that entrepreneurial spirit to the nth degree. And I think you have to have it to really want to um, have an alternative lane to, to navigating life, to create your life, if you will. So I mean, I love you. I've seen the growth in you, man. And uh, many, many great things are in store for you because you got the, you got the mind and the grind to get, to your destination, and I'm in any way I can support you, I will. Except I'm, I'm not going to let you wear those white tees and baggy jeans anymore. I think we, <laughs> we'll the gold teeth, right? Those are <laughs> <laughs> man, uh, man, my, it's man. I'm just, I'm so happy, man, that you were, that you're here, 
with us. And, you know, I, I'm almost in, in tears over here. Uh, I I owe so much to you know what I mean to what what it is that you that you taught me in school, man. And it's just it's always humbling, you know, to ever whenever I'm around you, you know, what I mean? I'm like a sponge. But it's just humbling to be able to be on this side. I'm actually interviewing you. Whereas I feel like you were, you know, just giving me all of the game and stuff like that. And even still in this, you know, I'm sitting here taking notes on what you're saying now, actually, you know, taking your phrases. So create your life series, fam. If you if you ever hear me say something cool, sometimes I'm actually really stealing it from this guy. I literally have taken some of his swag, you know, and some of the ways that he does stuff. So, um, man, Dr. Moffat, we, we're going to let you go. And then I'll do a recap on the great advice and the great story that you share with us. And so thank you so much for uh, being a part of the Create Your Life series. For sure, for sure. I appreciate you having me, man. God bless. I love you and I look forward to seeing what God has in store for you, bro. All right. Yes, sir. Love you too. That was an amazing interview. He talked about his battle with cancer, about his impact that he's had on students. And I want to just highlight some of the things that he said. He Number one is to, to have faith and to believe. But I feel like he drove that a little bit uh, drove that home a bit further when he said, believe with the period and not a comma. So if you believe in something, believe in that period. You know, once you allow those commas in, then you allow excuses to creep on in. And then also he said that, you know, people we have, uh, it's three three different phrases that we don't say often enough or that we are, are afraid to share with others. And that's, I love you. Uh, can you help me? And I'm sorry. And so I'm going to cre- encourage you, Create Your Life Series family, to actually go out and to allow yourself to say these three phrases to love openly and be humble on everything that you're doing. And so, as you know, we're here every Sunday from 530 to 630. So if you don't catch us here live, then you can definitely get the podcast on the createyourlifeseries.com. And of course, if you have any questions, you, there's always the opportunity to call in to the radio show. And there's also the opportunity to post a comment or a question on our Instagram page at CYL Series and let us know what's going on with you, how you feeling about uh, what it is that we're doing here. So enjoy your Sunday. And as always, stay beautiful and stay empowered. Create your life. 